Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. Welcome back to part two. Oh, I love that you did that. I, I, I've been thinking about doing it for the last 24 hours. That's how I roll. <laughs> so much fun. I'm Bethan. Hi. So on Wednesday, we heard a bit about Elaine O'Hara, her life, um, her death, as well as the man who was charged with her murder. Um, today we're going to go back to Ireland. We're going to look at the remainder of the trial, some more about Graham Dwyer's defence, and then also some of the new kind of things that have happened with this case more recently. So Graham Dwyer continued to deny his involvement in Elaine O'Hara's death. So his defence's case was to state repeatedly that these were just simply sexual fantasies. No more, no less, just that's what they were. And Dwyer's defence counsel, Remy Farrell, said that there was not a screed of evidence in respect of the cause of death, or even evidence that it was actually a murder instead of a suicide. But when the court heard things that he had written, Graham did show a bit of shame. At one point, something he had written about Darcy was read out where it said, beautiful, young, smart and clear about what she wanted, and critically, wanting to die the same way I wanted to kill. Um... And so when that was read out, Graham did turn red and kind of buried his face in his hands whilst this fantasy was read aloud in court. That's so weird, though, isn't it? You know, he's done all of this crazy stuff and then almost like a bit of a psychopath. And then he gets embarrassed in court over something quite trivial, really, and goes red. Can't control Mm -hmm. how he feels. That's weird. Yeah. I wondered if it was more an act or something like he he's maybe putting his hand in his his face and his hands to try and act like he's ashamed. But yeah, I don't think be. you could really make yourself turn red, could you? Could hold your breath loads. Yeah. And and he'd graphically detailed how he would fly Darcy to Ireland, take her to a cabin where he'd cut her throat as he raped her and then have sex with her mutilated corpse. I mean, there's some fantasies and then there's just, what the hell is that? And these weren't necessarily just fantasies. He would have potentially carried through with that oh well my opinion is he definitely would have if he could have done yeah members of the jury visibly recoiled as they were forced to watch videos that were played and they were shown things that graham had thought that he'd deleted but the police were able to retrieve and i think that shows a lot of either knowledge that it's something you really don't want people to see or shame or something like that yeah These images have been described as a stark contrast to the family pictures and baby scans that were also recovered on a hard drive in Graham's home. And that creeps me out that he had family pictures and stuff at the same time. mm. But I guess he could, like all true murderers, not all of them, I suppose, but lots that would have potentially gone on to have a number of victims. They can almost compartmentalise, can't they, between family Mm -hmm. and that kind of side of things that murderous part of them is almost like a different character yeah definitely this family man image his standing in the community his standing at work and his marriage that's the self-confessed sort of sadist that's what he wanted to preserve the most it's his ego isn't it exactly exactly and there's even reports from the courtroom that he was wiping tears from his eyes um But I'm wondering again, is that real or is he, you know, wiping fake tears a bit McPhil (laughs) Pottish? So people did say that apparently this was one of the few times that this unflappable and confident murder suspect showed any emotion. 
So yeah, maybe it's because he can see that his ego and his world is coming crashing down around him. Or the two worlds are very much colliding together. Absolutely, that's a really good point. Thank you. He would have wanted to keep them separate, wouldn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Who's a good girl? (laughs) On one of the days of the trial, the judge cleared the court and the gallery was made to be empty. And he said on this day that only the legal team, the investigators... Family members, accredited media were allowed to stay in with the jury. This was because they were going to be shown some really horrific videos and they were so awful that I just don't want to describe them in too much detail. If our listeners are interested, you'll be able to find out what they showed with a very quick Google search. And the judge told the jury beforehand, this is going to be difficult material. Remember, you are required to be objective. You are required to look at it as evidence to be weighed. Please bear in mind that you are required to put feelings and emotions to one side and look at this information pertaining to a decision that you have to make. I mean, if the judge is having to tell you that, you know it's going to be bad, don't you? So one video showed Graham shortly after waking up and he says to the camera, I am just after waking up for having knocked myself out with chloroform. I have very little recollection of what happened. I remember exhaling out and getting a warning sign and waking up with a pounding noise in my head like a headache and a loud noise. I think that must be what I took last night because I've got a pounding headache today. (laughs) Um, You think you accidentally took chloroform? Yeah, maybe in the shape of a bottle of wine. I was um, going to say. Yeah. I uh, I remember this from when we originally recorded this, uh, that he'd almost been trying different doses, hadn't he, of chloroform on himself mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to know the exact right amount to use on, on his victims. Other video clips showed a man and a woman in all of them, but they were very violent and the women were often being cut or abused. And the jurors looked over at Graham whilst they were watching these videos, but he just didn't meet anyone's eyes and he just kept his head down. I read a quote that said, several female jurors were recoiling in their seats. One seated in the front row shook her head, her tightened lips contorting into a stiff grimace. And later in the article, it said several jurors turned their heads from the screen. Their faces were pale and drawn, their foreheads riddled with furrows. They could momentarily look away, but there was no escaping the sounds. Oh, it's just so chilling, isn't it? And then something that we talked about last week in a little bit of detail, one of the key areas to the crime um, for the sort of prosecution um, was tying Graham Dwyer and Elaine O'Hara sort of together at her last movements. And that jogger who um, was able to give the map my run um, information, his testimony and the information from his phone was what really kind of tied the two together. So the messages that Graham had sent to Elaine um, saying what she should do with sort of going to the certain areas in Shanahar Park and going to the cemetery and over the bridge, that was all then kind of corroborated with this information. So they were really able to show that Elaine had been following those instructions that she received by text message. If it hadn't have been for that jogger and that information, there is the potential that they never would have known any more about where she went after that. Because There were sightings, but that wasn't a definite. And the CCTV actually would have finished and there wouldn't have been any definite proof where she was after step aside, after she left her home. So that jogger's information was really, really key to tying the fact that she had followed the instructions she was given. Yeah, and we said on Wednesday, didn't we, that it was almost like luck that he happened to be there, happened to be using Mm -hmm. Matt Myron. Um, there, There was a lot of coincidence. 
Oh, God, yeah. I mean, and also the river, the fact that the reservoir was so low. Yeah. Um, It's crazy. Yeah, so many things that if they hadn't have gone the way they did, potentially we'd still be thinking of Elaine's death as a suicide. Or, or an unsolved. She would still be a missing person. Yeah, yeah, we'd be covering it as an unsolved. So the trial in Dublin High Court had lasted for two whole months. And at the beginning of the trial, Judge Tony Hunt warned the jury about what they would be expected to see and listen to because they were going to have to watch all of those awful videos. And I kind of also really feel for the police whose job it was to kind of go through those. That must be horrendous. Yeah, it must be. But I think they also have to go through probably worse stuff than that throughout their career. So it would have been awful, yeah. but I think the amount of stuff that they must see that just stays with them, that will scar them forever, even though it's their job to do it and they kind of signed up for it. I think, yeah, it's like all of it's bad, uh, but I think, you know, some some is worse than others. And I'm not saying this wasn't horrific for them, but there's probably even worse stuff they have to see on top of that. Yeah, definitely. And so the judge had told the seven men and five women to take as long or as short of a time that they needed to reach what he described as a conscientious and properly considered verdict. And at the end said that they would be exempt from jury duty for the rest of their lives. He said that the 40 days of evidence stretching back over five years boiled down to what had happened in the three hours after Miss O'Hara vanished and when they found Graham Dwyer unanimously guilty, he said that the, he 110% agreed with the jury's decision. So, I mean, that goes to speak volumes, doesn't it? The judge was just like, absolutely, I agree with you. And so Graham Dwyer was sentenced to life imprisonment and the judge said the mandatory life sentence was richly deserved in this case. Got a lot of opinions, hasn't he, this judge? It is his job to be a bit judgy, though. Yeah, I suppose. He is a little bit judgmental, isn't he? Just a bit. I reckon he's in the right job. <laughs> I mean, you're judgmental, and what right do you have? Um, I don't have a right, but I enjoy it, so yeah, that's my right. So although Graham's brothers and parents attended the trial and sat in the court for most of the trial and have stayed loyal to him ever since, his wife, but now ex-wife, and their two children were absent, except for when Gemma was testifying against him, and he no longer sees any of them. After the verdict, Gemma released a statement asking for her privacy to be respected and said that her and her family's thoughts and condolences are with the O'Hara family for the grief and pain that they're suffering. And I think that must be horrific for Gemma and her family to have to realise that, you know, it's her ex-husband who did this. Graham's sister Eve said how it had affected her on Facebook in an emotional New Year's post. And she put, I'm not the same person as I was at the start of the year. 2015 has been a year of lessons, laughter and tears. With lessons learned from what this life teaches, I've learned to make peace with my broken pieces. It all reminds me a little bit of Billy Joe Jenkins, which we covered earlier on in this season. So Sean Jenkins, the father, was accused of killing her and he served time. He was found guilty and then won an appeal against that and was freed. And his wife and children completely disowned him afterwards. And I think mm -hmm. they moved to Australia. So although technically he is innocent in the, in the eyes of the law, in their eyes, he certainly isn't. So they, they turned their back on him. I don't think you can come back from that either. 
you can't then go, oh, well, now you've been found innocent, we will come back to you. I think once you've made that decision as well, that's that. Well, they were almost like, we don't really care what a jury thinks or a judge. We mm-hmm. we think you're guilty. So even when he won his appeal, it was like, well, you know, we don't really care. We believe what we believe. Going, I know this is off on such a tangent, but obviously I wasn't with you for that episode because that was back towards the beginning mm. of season three. And so I listened to that episode again quite recently on a walk and Oh my goodness, it, he's so guilty in my I know, eyes. yeah, completely <laughs> There's agree. just so much. Yeah, that was a really interesting episode. Um, yeah. They always all are, but that one in particular. Um, and yeah, poor Billy Joe. she'd had a really rough start in life and then, you know, thought she'd landed with a dream family and that wasn't really the case. And I do think, I kind of agree with you, I think you're... You're right. I reckon that there was something going on that she had to be silenced for, potentially some sort of sexual abuse or something like that, um, because there's just so much rage to that case. Or even maybe Billy Joe had discovered that he was having an affair with someone behind his wife's back and she was saying, I'm going to tell her and he just had to shut her up. I really feel that he was forced to act very quickly. Yeah. And the whole driving driving around the park and stuff. Oh, it was just very very odd but yeah I was really gutted that I wasn't with you for that episode because that was so interesting but there we go and following the trial and the conviction of Graham Dwyer local police in Dublin began looking into other unsolved cases and other unsolved murders including any fatal stabbings because they thought this couldn't have been the only thing that Graham had done um so he'd had conversations with Elaine about a lady who was called Renee Murray, I think you say Renee, I'm not sure. And that kind of rang alarm bells to them because the 17-year-old schoolgirl was killed after being attacked in South Dublin after returning from a night out with friends in the pub and nobody had ever been convicted of her killing. So I did find it really interesting that they're also thinking about other people it could have been, but it doesn't look like they've got any evidence of um, any more conversations with people where they could properly tie it to him. And I haven't been able to find out much more, but I don't know if you remember me mentioning it in part one, they had all these other videos of women and they were trying to kind of appeal for women to come out and say, actually, that was me in the video and I'm still alive or I'm safe. Yeah. Um, but you might not even know you're in those videos. But I really hope that potentially somebody who had a horrific experience and woke up one morning and didn't know what had happened and potentially she might have been in one of those videos. I mean... At least you might get some closure around what happened to you, perhaps, I don't know, or maybe it's better to never remember, I'm not sure. I think you're almost then having to confront it and really open a wound that may have healed, I don't know, yeah. So Graham was put on suicide watch in prison and he began his appeals, or his legal team began the appeals, almost immediately. Um, So there were a number of different reasons for appeals and the first and kind of the one we're going to be talking about in a little bit more detail was the data gathered from his phone. So he claimed that the data gathered under the 2011 Communications Retention of Data Act should not have been used at the trial and his application was to exclude this evidence generated by his mobile phone from the jury. This was rejected by the judge presiding over the trial and the data which was generated by mainly his work phone placed the phone at specific places at a particular time and then the data was used to link him to another mobile phone and that was then the one that had been contacting Elaine. 
So according to Graham, the use of this data was unconstitutional and breached his rights under the EU Charter and the European Convention on Human Rights. Um, So this was kind of like his right to privacy. And so they would then have to decide whether his human rights had been breached or whether the investigation into Elaine's death was more important at that point. Like, which is the more important thing? Yeah, which, like, really is a no-brainer. Well, to any of us, yeah. But they do have to then your your right to privacy and your your human rights are important. So it's it was a really really tricky one that one. There was also um, sort of an appeal about how the police had obtained certain evidence from a bin outside his house and whether the procedure was followed correctly. The fact that Darcy was allowed to give evidence via video link, as we mentioned in part one, this wasn't going to be allowed. But then he sent her that Christmas card and he kind of shot himself in the foot. So he was appealing that she shouldn't have been allowed to give any testimony at all. It sounds like he's just clutching at straws because none of this is is very good grounds of appeal, I don't think. Yeah, I think it's difficult, isn't it? They kind of, I guess, want to throw the net out as wide as possible. Yeah, what have they got to lose? The appeal also brought up whether key material from Elaine's IT devices was admissible and also highlighted the impact of allowing the videos to be viewed by the jury. And I think that is a key point, because if you allow them to see those videos, they're going to have an emotional connection, even though they're told not to bring emotions into their judgment. However, you made those videos, so get over it. If you didn't want to use those videos, don't make them. (laughs) And then the final part of the appeal related to post-trial comments by state pathologist Professor Marie Cassidy. So in remarks after his conviction, she said she'd expected a not guilty verdict because the lack of pathology evidence to support the claim that Elaine had met a violent death. You know, the, the fact that there's no evidence that Elaine was murdered. So can you really be convicted of murder when there's no proof that person was killed violently and by this person? That is a good point. It's such a good point, isn't it? However, there's been murder convictions with nobody at all. And Elaine's remains were found. However, I do get that point. I do. But clearly the evidence to the jury was enough to give them that reasonable doubt and for them to think actually unanimously he is guilty. And so it's also been reported that Graham Dwyer was writing loads of letters to assure his friends and his supporters that he was going to be acquitted when his appeal was heard. Um, And he'd get really annoyed, like if friends weren't responding to his letters, he'd get really pissy with them. And if there were clubs that he used to be a key figure in and they'd end contact with him, he'd get really cross as well. But you can kind of get that, like the clubs aren't going to be associated with a convicted murder. He's he's not even just on remand awaiting a trial, he's been convicted of murder. So why would you want to associate with somebody like that if you're respectable yourself? Yeah. And one of the articles um, made me laugh because it said quite ironically, and I, I, I thought it was a bit of a joke as well. I thought they were very clever with this. So they said... These include social groups and schools in Dwyer's native Bandon, County Cork, and model aircraft clubs that he was involved in in Dublin. Dwyer was a key figure in organising the 20th anniversary dinner of his 1991 Leaving Cert class, but it is understood that he has not been contacted about any 25th reunion plans. (laughs) And there are a couple of letters that you can find online that people who have written to Graham have then released to the press. And they're just creepy, like he's all, like, I find it weird when people write to convicted murderers anyway. I don't, I'd love to do that. What, and try and like flirt with them? Not flirt, but just have a, like, find out what life is like behind bars and find out more about their crimes. I'd love it. 
See, I think that's fair enough, but these are like chatting you yeah, up kind of Yeah, that's weird. Letters. I never understand why people want a relationship with somebody who's in prison. You need to see a psychotherapist and understand why you want a long-distance relationship. I think so. So Graham's appeals then were put forward and all of the reasons. And the key part to the appeal is this phone data. So this metadata, it's called, was this really important role in sort of putting him close to the scene of Elaine's murder, putting him as the author of the text messages and putting him in certain places. And that was kind of his key part of his appeal. Now, he has actually since won a high court victory over the retention of his mobile phone data. So the Supreme Court have actually referred to the court justice of the EU um, back in February this year. So the justices of the Supreme Court sitting in Waterford had, by a six to one majority, referred these key issues in the state's appeal over his mobile phone data to the EU Court of Justice. So basically, they've said that actually he has got a bit of a case there but they need to put it to the eu courts because they need to decide but is that more of a separate case separate to the that being used as evidence in a prosecution for murder more just an issue around his data not being handled in in accordance with law or is it seriously being considered as grounds to uh, do a retrial or something well this is the thing so graham dwyer he sort of basically thinks that this is the first step of having his conviction overturned. To him, this is the point where if they then did a retrial without any of the mobile phone data that sets him as that person, that's when um, he would be retried and actually he feels like he'd be found innocent then because it was a really key part of the trial. Yeah, so he could be right then. But again, is it always going to come back to what which is more important? The fact that we've kind of breached his personal data uh, rule or the fact that we're trying to prosecute for someone who was murdered? Well, exactly. And I think this is the thing. So basically, the EU Court of Justice is not expected to respond for at least 12 months after the case's referral. And then when the court gives its decision, it then goes back to the Irish court. So the Irish courts then will use the EU court's decisions to make a basis on what they decide to do next. So Chief Justice Frank Clark said to the press that he believed a limited system of universal data retention was needed for the prosecution of serious crimes. So particularly those against women or children or vulnerable people. And whether a finding of invalidity might affect Graham Dwyer's criminal appeal wasn't really an issue for the Supreme Court. So he basically said the difficult questions of EU law the court was obliged to refer them to the Court of Justice of the EU. And then they would then give this ruling. The Supreme Court was only needing then to act whether or not things were consistent with the law. And that would then be only from the date of its judgment. So that decision couldn't be retrospective anyway. So this judge, Justice Frank Clark, has said that he believes that then Graham Dwyer still can't claim that they acted unlawfully because the law applied as it stood when they investigated Elaine's murder. Does that make sense? Yeah. So even if they say it now, it almost doesn't matter because he was still tried back then, if that is the case, if that's how it kind of works. Um, so apparently Graham Dwyer was watching this live broadcast of the Supreme Court's decision to refer his case to Europe from his prison cell and he was apparently quite gleeful 
A source revealed that Graham Dwyer is not the kind of inmate to ever express much emotion, but he watched it in lifetime from his cell in the Midlands. It's fair to say he was gleeful in its aftermath. He couldn't stop smiling afterwards, and he seems to think that this is the first step in having his conviction for murder overturned. But then a source said, even if the European court upholds this, this is just the first step in a potential appeal, and it's going to be a really long process. There is a good chance it's all going nowhere. So it's really interesting. So even this year, back in February, things were still happening with this case. Yeah, that's weird. You just think you can put it to bed. And then I really feel for Elaine's family and friends because they, you know, they get some form of closure, they get justice, and then it's all being raked over again five years later. And there's there's that chance that they're not going to retain that justice for Elaine. So I really hope that they kind of say, look, the court found you guilty and maybe it changes things for in the future. But there's also kind of going to be issues with other cases where um, mobile phone data is going to be useful for prosecutions. So one article I saw said upwards of 2000 investigations into online child abuse could be delayed as a result of this decision to defer it to Europe. Because a lot of cases are now being put on pause. They've paused 800 investigations into the possession and distribution of online child abuse material. That's awful. All because of this man trying to get out of a murder Mm -hmm. that he did commit. And so the court said that hopefully this would not be retroactive. So it wouldn't necessarily lead to overturning successful convictions in other cases. But there is the issue then that potentially going forward, it's going to be harder to find people guilty of things like that so he's really making a big shitstorm for everybody and so there you go that's the story of elaine o'hara and graham dwyer i feel like we've really done it justice this time because we've you know we've covered the story like we did last time we've done it in the right way and then we you know we've kind of come full circle with it so it's really interesting to know that there is still stuff going on like we've just said as recently as two months ago and this guy is hoping to appeal his conviction still it's just in cloud cuckoo land but you never know he could end up getting away with this i really really hope he doesn't i really really hope he doesn't or if he does they find something else out and they can be like well okay you're out for that but you can be in for this thing yeah we've we've been able to pin another murder on you anyway Mm -hmm. sort of thing yeah yeah very disturbing thank you bethan i won't say i enjoyed it because it's um it's never really enjoyable is it but it's certainly interesting so thank you very much for listening guys thank you for joining us for part two hope you enjoyed having two episodes this week not having to wait a week in between again you lucky little things uh we'll be back next week and it's our season finale um so i think it's episode 30 of season three we've had a slightly longer season haven't we we have. Well, I hope you've got something really good planned for the season I haven't planned finale. anything yet. I haven't even thought about it. Well, this is awkward. <laughs> yeah, oops. <laughs> uh, no, I will get it all sorted. And uh, yeah, we'll have it out on Wednesday for you. And then we'll just have a week's break. And mm-hmm. we'll be back with season four, which is mad, isn't it? Yeah, and we've got something special planned for season four, episode one. So watch this space. Yes, definitely. Um, don't forget to find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And you can also support the show at patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. If you'd like to chuck a bit of money our way to keep the lights on and keep us going. Uh, we're always so grateful of any support that, that comes through. So thank you to those that have done that. Definitely, thank and, you. And thank you if you're thinking about doing it. Absolutely. And don't forget, you can watch some of the videos from our back catalogue on YouTube as well. 
Um, so keep an eye on that and subscribe to that if you want to sort of see as and when they come up. So season four, we should then be releasing a video sort of just after the podcast with some extra um, images and stuff to kind of go along with that. So fingers crossed that will kind of work nicely alongside. And yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, we'll see you next week. See you then. Bye. Bye.